The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. I'm Pastor Chris. Welcome to Coastal. Uh, we're so glad to have you with us today. We had a great day here at Coastal. And uh, we are, we're excited about next weekend. A lot of exciting things uh, coming up in the life of our church. As Ryan said, uh, next Sunday is Life Group Sunday. And it really is similar to like a job fair or a, a college fair where you go to like a big building, big room, and there's a lot of tables and booths that represent the different, you know, schools or jobs. Well, next Sunday we'll have a bit, something very similar, uh, but every booth and table will represent all of the different groups. And you'll actually be able to meet uh, the leaders, and you'll be able to see some of the material for their different groups, and, and uh, meet some of the people that are going to be a part of that group. There's going to be snacks and food, and uh, it really is a lot of fun. It's a great way uh, to, to get uh, plugged into ministry, plugged into relationships uh, here at Coastal. And uh, that's next Sunday. And then um, kind of on a smaller level, uh, but, but a lot of fun as well, next Sunday night uh, is our fantasy football draft. And uh, I know you're all excited about about that, um, but we got a lot of people that are signed up for that. If you're interested in that, uh, uh, I got some guys back there in the back, uh, Sean, uh, the reigning uh, fantasy football champion, I guess, from last year, uh, which is not going to last very much longer, So, um, but uh, you can see him if you have some questions about that. Uh, but the real thing that we're getting, we're very excited about, that's just a few weeks still away, um, is September the 17th, uh, a big day here at Coastal. We're, we're kicking off a new series uh, called After God's Own Heart. And uh, there's no doubt we're living in a day and time where uh, people, um, you know, th- th- there's some heart issues going on in our world today, right? I mean, there really is. And uh, people uh, need love. And uh, we're, we're going to do a study on the life of David, a kind of an unlikely character in the beginning, for sure, uh, kind of an overlooked person. And yet the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. And uh, we're going to talk about that from week to week as we look at his life, talk about uh, what it takes to be a person after God's own heart. And uh, so don't miss that, but invite and bring somebody to church that day. Uh, we are going to just pull out all the stops that day. Uh, we're, it's actually going to be our, uh, tailgate, our annual tailgating competition outside uh, after both services. And so what that means is out on the front of our campus, there are going to be trucks and tents and food and uh, you know, jump castles, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We actually need some people today to sign up for uh, one of those tailgating, you know, tents or experiences, and uh, you just, you know, wear your team colors, set up your team stuff, provide some food, and uh, we, we actually vote on the best tailgating experience, the best food. It's a lot of fun, but then to amp it up even higher, outside after both services, in, in the midst of all that excitement and fun, we're going to have a baptism service outside. And so we're actually taking our, our uh, uh, you know, portable baptistry outside. We're going to put it up on some risers. And uh, it's going to be the highlight of, next, uh, of September the 17th. So invite and bring a friend. Uh, we'll, we'll provide you with some uh, invite cards uh, very specific to that series coming up soon. Um, but begin praying now and thinking about uh, who you're going to invite and bring su- Sunday, September the 17th. Now today, uh, we're kind of on the, the tail end of a series uh, here at the summer uh, called Summer Reading. 
And uh, today's book that we're using as a springboard is a book by one of my favorite authors and pastors. Uh, It's called Grave Robber by Pastor Mark Batterson. Uh, He's the lead pastor at National Community Church in Washington, D.C. He's a great author. And uh, we've used several of his books over the years uh, in this series and then... Uh, in our life groups as well, actually speaking about life groups. Uh, some of the books that we've used are In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, uh, Circle Maker, that's a great book on prayer, uh, All In. Uh, this particular book, Grave Robber, actually looks at the seven miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John. Listen to what Pastor Mark writes. You may be reading this book because you need a miracle. Don't we all need a miracle at some point in our lives? And God wants to do now what he did then. But this is more than just a book on miracles. It's a book about the only one who can perform them. So let me offer you you a word of caution at the outset. Don't just seek the miracle. Follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus long enough and far enough, you'll eventually find yourself in the middle of some miracles. I like that. You know, don't just, you know, don't just chase after the miracle. Man, you chase after Jesus. You follow him. And if you do that, you'll find yourself in the middle of some miracles. Let me ask you a question. How about you today? Are you in the need, in need of a miracle in your life? You know, do you need a miracle in your marriage today? Do you need a miracle in your, in your relationships? Are you in the need of a financial miracle? Or is it possible that you are struggling with something in your life right now that seems so big and so daunting and so overwhelming that short of a miracle, you see no way out? Well, today I want to do what we always do here at Coastal. I want to point you to Jesus. I want to point you to the miracle maker. I want to point you to the one who can not just uh, perform a miracle, but he can walk with you every step of the way. And I want us to take a look today at one of those miracles that Mark talks about in his book, one of those seven miracles that's found in the Gospel of John. Um, It's one of my favorite stories about Jesus. It's found in John chapter 9. And it's the story of Jesus healing a man who had been born blind. And uh, in the first few verses of this chapter, uh, Jesus performs a miracle. He, He heals this man of his physical blindness. But then the rest of the chapter, Jesus does something even more important. Uh, He heals him of his spiritual blindness. And he helps him come to sight spiritually for the very first time. Um, It's the story, I believe, of how God can do that in your life. Of how God can help you to see something that maybe you've never been able to see before. I think it's this awesome story of how God uh, works a miracle of faith in our lives. Now, I want to make this practical for you today. I want this to make, I want to make this real for you today, like we always try to do here at Coastal. So to do that specifically, I want you to fill in this blank that's on your outline. It's on the screen as well. It says, I'd love to be able to see blank. Now, What about you? What would you love to be able to see God do in your life? In fact, today I want to challenge you to kind of put yourself in the place of this this man here in chapter 9, this blind man. He was was born blind, you know, all of his life uh, he'd been unable to see. In fact, 
He had probably been a beggar his entire life because that's exactly what happened to people like him in his situation in, in that culture at that time. Now, don't you think that every single day of his life, at least once, he must have thought, what would it be like if I could see? What would be different? How would my life be different? How would things be, you know, how would they change for me if I could see? Well, what about you? What would you love to see today? You know, maybe in, in a spiritual sense, in a, in a personal sense, what would you love to be able to see? Things, something that you want, but you just can't see how that thing, that situation could possibly change, how it could possibly happen. You know, maybe for you today, it's, I'd love to be able to see my marriage improve. I'd love to be able to see that as husband and wife, we really have what we always hoped and dreamed that we could have together. I'd love to be able to see myself getting out of debt. I'd love to be able to see myself clean and, and sober. I'd love to be able to see myself healthy. I'd like to imagine that, that God could actually use me. I'd like to see myself full of of joy and, and peace. What about you? Write something down on your outline. You know, there, there's four things in this story that, that happened to this man. After Jesus helped him to see physically, there's, there's some things that happened in his life that helped him come to faith and helped him experience an even greater miracle. And today I believe that God is wanting to do those same things in your life if you'll let him. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, you gotta break through either-or thinking. You gotta break through either-or thinking. You know, in verse two, Jesus' disciples uh, revealed their mindset, this kind of thinking, when they walked, through, walked past this man who had been born blind. And they asked Jesus a very interesting question. They said, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned? You know, this man or his parents, that he was born this way, that he was born blind. Now for them, you see, that was the only option that they had really grown up with, this belief that all sickness, all infirmity, all uh, disease is really just the result of an individual's sin. Now their belief was wrong, but that's all that they knew. And so basically, again, they looked at Jesus and they say, hey Jesus, here's this you know, blind guy, so was it a sin that his parents committed, or was it something that this man did that you know, God knew he was gonna do later in life, and so God caused him to be born blind? Now their thinking had trapped them into seeing that this man's situation was what it was, right? I mean, it was hopeless, there was nothing that can be done, and that's exactly what either-or thinking does. It traps you. Here's some examples of either-or thinking. It's you know, either I gotta take this job that I know I'm gonna hate, or I'm gonna face bankruptcy. I'm trapped. Either I'm gonna be lonely and miserable for the rest of my life, or, I'm, or, or I just gotta compromise my values and I gotta marry this loser. Either or thinking. And you start asking yourself questions like, you know, what did I do to deserve this? 
Where's God? You know, why me? And again, you feel trapped. Look at what Jesus had to say about that, that kind of thinking. Verse 3. I like it from the message. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. You see, that's how you break through either or thinking. You look at what God can do. You look what's at what's possible with God. You look for God's other option, the third option, the other alternative. You begin to see maybe that job that you've been struggling with, that you don't like going to, that you, you begin to look at it. You know, maybe this is an opportunity for ministry. Maybe God's got me here for a reason and for a season so that I can show people what a follower of Jesus looks, looks like. It's a, it's a different way of looking at life. You begin to see that marriage that you're struggling with as an opportunity for God to bring glory and and to bring healing and to bring ministry to other people. You begin to see your pain, not as a result of sin, but something that God could use for his glory and your good. It's just a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at a situation. You see, he can change things that you and I cannot change. Now, sometimes, yes, he can change the circumstance, and he does. But more often than not, you know what he changes? He changes you. He changes your heart. You see, when you're in an either-or trap, begin to look for an option from God. Something different. Something that's so radically different that it can only be from him. you got to break through either-or thinking. Number two, got to ask Jesus to help you you got to ask him for help. Ask him for help in the struggles of life. Now, this man's struggle, obviously, was blindness. And we saw uh, in John chapter 9, verse 7, Jesus told the man, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam meant, means sent. So the man went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Now, what's amazing to me uh, in that particular verse is what's missing you know, what, what happened in the middle of all of that? I mean, between when Jesus said, go and wash, and then the man came back seeing. You know, I can just imagine what this guy must have been thinking. Jesus, are you serious? You know, I, I, I've been told, you know, that, that you're this healer. You know, what? You know, are you crazy? Go and wash my eyes. Jesus, I've done that like a thousand times. I mean, he'd probably even gone to that particular pool and washed before. I can just imagine what it must have been like for this blind man to make his way through the city and back against all these obstacles, and yet Jesus sends him down to this pool to wash his eyes, and when he does, a miracle happens. Now, don't miss how the miracle started. Jesus said, I want you to do something that in your mind, from what you can see, seems very ordinary. I want you to walk through the streets, the streets that you've walked through many times before. I want you to wash your eyes like you've done a thousand times before, and then you're going to see. You see, sometimes that's what we miss. That's where the miracle begins. They, they always start when somebody does something very ordinary in faithful obedience to God. God says, do this. And to you, it seems like an ordinary thing. But you do it in faith and obedience, and a miracle happens. I mean, think about it. God wants to split the Red Sea in two. He says to Moses, pick up a stick. 
That's pretty ordinary, wouldn't you agree? Moses picks up a stick and the sea splits in two. Pretty incredible. God wants to feed 5,000 people. So what's he do? He gets a little boy to faithfully, obediently give his lunch, a little bread and a little fish, so Jesus can multiply it. Something very ordinary becomes something very extraordinary in the hands of God. God wants the walls of Jericho to fall down. So what does he tell his people to do? Walk around them. Walk. Blow a trumpet. I mean, do you actually think it was the volume of the trumpet that made the walls fall down? No, it was God. It was their, their, their obedience, their, their faith in God that allowed him, that put themselves in a situation for God to work a miracle. Let me ask you, are you willing to do something that seems ordinary to you in faithful obedience that in a real way says, God, I'm depending on you for this one. I'm trusting you. I don't know what it might be for you. For you, uh, an ordinary start might be making a phone call, having a conversation that you know you need to have. An ordinary beginning in, in faithful obedience for you, it might be praying for something again that you gave up on a long time ago. It might mean going to see a doctor or a counselor. It might be beginning to give when you don't think you have enough to give. For you, an ordinary start of faithful obedience might be showing your wife or your husband the love and the respect that you have been withholding for years. Uh, just a, you know, a small step of obedience for you might be you know, to stop eating out as much and paying down your debt. You see, when you take that step that first ordinary step of faithful obedience. I, I do want to tell you one of the first things that you're going to begin to think. And I honestly think it's something that we all think, and it's probably the first thing that this man thought. I mean, Jesus, again, sends him down on this journey, down to the pool, and I bet the first thing he thought was, Jesus, this ain't going to work. You know, I've, I've been there, I've done that. You know, this is not going to happen. But he walks down, he washes his eyes, and then see what God does. You see, when you make that phone call, when you write that letter, when you pray that prayer, don't be surprised if the first thought to your mind is, Jesus, this is not going to work. And yet it's amazing how God can take the smallest step of just faithful obedience, even with doubtful people like you and me, and make incredible differences and miracles in their lives. You see, when you take that first step of faith, what you're doing is you're giving God a chance to work, to do something. Psalm 70 verse five says, I am in deep trouble. Rush to my aid, for only you can help and save me, O oh Lord. Don't delay. Have you ever felt that way? Man, we all have, haven't we? I'm sure that blind man felt exactly that way. Uh, I need help, and I need it now. I mean, who among us has not felt that way at some point? We get desperate. We call for help. God comes. He helps us out, and we're grateful. But, and hear this with all the love that I can muster today. For some of you, that's 
that's all it is. That's, that pretty much describes your relationship with God. You, you, you kind of have what you might call um, a 911 relationship with God. You only call him when you've got an emergency. And I just want you to hear this today. Man, our loving God wants so much more for you than just that. You know, that's, that's really the rest of the story with this man. Sure, Jesus helped him. Yes, Jesus healed him, physic- healed him physically. But God wanted to do something even greater. And he healed him spiritually. You see, and I believe today that there are, there are those of you here that God is wanting to do exactly that in your life. He has helped you, and, and you call out to him, and he is, he's want, he, he, he'll help you, and he's done that, and you know that, but he wants to do so much more. But you've got to be willing to do what this man did. Let's continue to see what he did. Look at, look at uh, number three. Number three, you've got to look past what others can't see. Look past what others can't see. You know, again, this guy's healed. And uh, he goes back to the very people, his community, where he lived. And uh, these people who had watched him his entire life. They'd seen him beg his entire life. Uh, you know, what, what's so amazing to me, I think about this, you know, put yourself in this guy's shoes. He'd heard their voices his entire life. And now this is the first time that he can see their faces. And in verse 9, it says this. This is so funny. Um, Some said, he's the one. Others said, nah, it only looks like him. The man himself said, I'm the man. I mean, isn't this crazy? I mean, you know, think about it. Instead of everybody in the community you know, rejoicing and being happy for him, that he can see. He's actually now having to argue with people. They're kind of debating back and forth among themselves. I think it's him. Is it him? No, nah, that can't be him. Yes, it's me. I'm, I'm him. Listen to me for a second. There are always going to be people around you who doubt what God can do in your life. There are. There, there are always going to be people who, who will tell you, you know what, you might as well stay in the dark because for you, the light is impossible. You might as well stay down on your luck because blessing for you is not available. You know, reconciliation in your marriage? I mean, come on, you've seen the way you guys fight like cat and dogs? That's never going to be possible for you. Faith in God, a God who personally loves you and cares for you? What, you think you're going to be able to lose weight and get healthy? You actually think that you can be clean and sober, receive God's forgiveness, freedom from your guilt? Listen, that's a fairy tale for you. There are always going to be people in your life like that. Don't ever let other people's negative voices blind you to what God can and wants to do in your life. You know, one of the reasons I think sometimes people don't want you to change or can't see that you can change is because they're struggling with change in their own life. And they can't see that they could change. And so they wonder how in the world is it possible for you? Listen, we need the kind of people in our lives 
that fan the flames of faith in our lives. See, Coastal, that's what we're for. That's what should be happening here. That's what the church is all about. That's why you need to get around those types of people in your life. Let me say this today as well. That's why you ought to be in a life group. You know, you got the catalog there in front of you today. Next Sunday is Life Group Sunday. Man, take out that catalog. Take out that connect card now. Look at it. Listen, that's why you need to be in a life group. You need positive people in your life. Now listen, am I saying today that when you sign up for a life group, when you get, by the way, it's just for a semester. I know we call them life groups, but it's not like a life sentence, okay? You're not there forever, okay? Just for a semester, you know, from September to like late November, early December. Anybody can do anything for a semester. But when you you sign up for a life group, I'm not saying that it's going to be total and complete relational euphoria and you're going to meet your, your lifelong friends. If you're single, you're going to meet your spouse and you're going to get married, although all those things happen in life group every week. Now, I'm just teasing, but listen, here's what I do promise you. Man, you're just going to be around other people that are just like you. You know, fellow strugglers, sinners saved by grace, who are becoming and growing and learning. And you learn a little bit about their story and they learn a little bit about yours and, and uh, you pray for each other. And over time, we put you in that environment enough times, you meet a handful of lifelong friends. And you need that. Because there's too much negativity in this world. Look at verse 18. The Jewish leaders wouldn't believe that he had been blind. They just could not believe that this miracle was even possible. And they, they tried everything in their power just to write it off. I mean, they argued with this man. They brought him in and they basically interrogated him and said, hey, you know, tell us, tell us about Jesus. Who did this? Because there's no way possible because he's a sinner and he could not have done this. And they're ticked off, really, that Jesus is, you know, getting a following. And then they're really upset that he did this miracle on a Saturday because... You know, Jewish people, the Sabbath was a day that you weren't supposed to work. And for Jesus to perform a miracle, he actually had to work a little bit. And, um, and by the way, do you know what work he actually had to do, what they were really upset about? There was actually a law on the books that they had added that if you had to spit, you know, on a Saturday, on, on the Sabbath, that it was okay to spit as long as you spit on a rock, because you couldn't spit on the ground, because if you spit on the ground, the saliva in and of itself would make clay. And so that would be work. Isn't that crazy? And yet, it was that little thing that kept them from having faith. What about you today? What little thing has kept you from having faith? You know, one little word of discouragement from somebody and you don't have faith. One little habit that trips you up that maybe you just can't seem to let go of and you don't have faith in what God really can do. One little setback in life. You know, and maybe things don't go the way you thought you planned them, you know, the way you thought they should go and you lose faith. You see, in order to look past what others can't see, you and I have to have a different kind of faith, the kind of faith this man had. I love his answer in verse 25. He says, listen, one thing I do know, again, I don't know all the answers to all these questions. I'm not sure about Jesus exactly yet. But one thing I do know, I once was blind, but now I can see. 
He says, listen, you know, you can argue all you want, but all I know is I'm here, I, I can see now. By the way, that's his testimony. That's his story. What about you? What's your story? What's your testimony? Everybody's got one. Everybody in this room, we all have one. You know, what was your life before you came to know Christ? Yeah, how did, and then how did that happen? How did you become a believer? And now, what's your life like? What's the change? You know, for you, maybe, you know, I once was bitter and mean, mean-spirited, but man, now I'm full of joy. I once was hopeless, and now I'm full of hope. I, I once was angry, and, and now I'm, I'm loving. What about you? You know, what's your story? What's your testimony? That's how, that's how you show people that, that Jesus is real. You see, I think some of you think, man, I don't, you know, I don't know all the theological answers, and you know, people are going to ask me questions. I'm not sure, sure what to say. Listen, that's what was going on with this guy. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't, know, he didn't you know, know exactly how to answer their questions about Jesus, but he did know that he once was blind, and now he can see. That's your story. That's your testimony. And everybody here has got one. And let me tell you something. There is somebody in your life that needs to hear your story. They don't need my story. They need yours. Yours, by the way, is far more powerful than mine just because of who I am and what I do. People look at me, and I might as well be, I'm just, you know, for a lot of people in the world today, I am one step above or, beyond, or below a used car salesman or an insurance salesman. That's the truth. Because they look at me as the, the paid professional. You're supposed to say that. You're supposed to talk about Jesus. There, you know, you, you got some other thing going on behind the scene that, you know, it's just bait and switch, but not you. You're the satisfied customer. You're, you're, the, you're the, the life that was changed. And there are people in your life where you live, where you work, and where you play. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. Listen, God has got you right where you are. Are where you work, that job that you complain about, you know, that, that community that you live, those places you go, he's got you there for a reason and for a season. And that's to show people what a follower of Jesus looks like and to pray for them and to love them and at some point to be able to share your story. Finally, if you want a miracle in your life, number four, you gotta trust Jesus to save you. Now, I know for a lot of us, that word is kind of strange. You know, Jesus saves. You know, you kind of see that on, you know, poster boards or something. I don't know, people screaming and yelling. And, you know, so what does that mean? Jesus saves. I mean, does Jesus put money in my bank account for retirement? You know, does Jesus save the documents on my computer so I don't lose them? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You know, wouldn't have to back up stuff. Jesus did it, you know. Uh, Jesus saves. What does it mean? It means that Jesus rescues us and he restores us. Like a lifeguard saves a drowning man or a woman, Jesus saves us, he rescues them. He rescues us from all the things that are wrong in our life, all the things that we've struggled with, all the heartache. He rescues us from the sin in our life that has separated us from God. He saves us from them, and then he restores us. He restores us to the kind of relationship that God says you were created for. Just like if you were to see an old, dilapidated building, I mean, just a mess, 
and yet you see it and you see the potential and you get in there and you gut it and you restore it. It becomes beautiful again. Jesus does that. He restores us to the kind of relationship with God that we were intended to have. That's what Jesus saves means. He rescues us from all that it means to be without him and he restores us to a relationship with God that we were intended to have. And that's where faith comes in. Not in some kind of, um, you know, ideal world, Pollyanna, where everything is perfect. That's, that's heaven. We live on this side of eternity. We live in the real world with real struggles and real difficulties. And real faith is putting your trust in a real God in this real world and finding that out that even when you don't have all the answers, even when you don't understand it all, that he is there and he is real, and he is faithful, and he gives you the strength and the encouragement that you need, and he walks with you through the storm. You know, in John 9, it's interesting that Jesus let this man go through an awful lot. I mean, he made him go down to the pool, made him come back, made him suffer all these accusations from friends and, and, and religious leaders in the community. Why? Why did Jesus do that? Why didn't he just, you know, come to him right after he was healed and stand, you know, right there beside him and tell him exactly what was going to happen? Because ultimately, I think Jesus wanted more for him than just to heal him of his physical blindness. He wanted him to have faith. What about you? Do you want to see spiritually? Listen, sure, I, I, I know a few people over the years that, you know, all of a sudden, the switch is flipped and the light comes on. But I know a lot more people that are like this man throughout this chapter. It's a little bit more like a dimmer switch. You know, just ever so slightly, and maybe kind of slowly, it's turned up, and they see a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more every day. And all of a sudden, one day, they realize, I see. I understand. I have faith. I think that's happening to some of you right now. You know, sometimes, even when you've been a believer for a lot of years, it is hard to see some things. And I think it's like right now, God is saying, look, look at what I want to do. Look what I can do in your life if you'll let me. You know, maybe some of you, you're here today and you haven't been at church in a long time and you say, you know what, I know about church but I don't really have the kind of personal relationship with Jesus that you're talking about. But today, the dimmer switch is, is turning on and you're beginning to see it. Look what happened to this man, verse 38. Yes, Lord, the man said, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Don't you see? That's what, that's what Jesus was working to do in this man's life all along. 
Now, how does that happen? How do you go from spiritual blindness to being able to see? How do you trust Jesus to finally save you? Well, three things, three things that you see in this story. First of all, you have to have humility. In other words, in order to be able to see spiritually, you've got to finally admit that you're spiritually blind in the first place. In order to finally come to the Savior, you've got to admit that you're a sinner in need of salvation. In John 9, verse 39, Jesus told them, I have come into this world to give sight to those who are what? Spiritually blind. Listen, if you don't admit that, if you don't just come clean, if, you don't, if you're not honest with yourself and honest with God, you're never going to be able to see. Listen, just admit what you know in your heart is true that you are in the darkness, that, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. In chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world to all, listen to this, to all who put their trust in me. They will no longer remain in darkness. That's what Jesus wants to do. The light finally comes on. And you understand that Jesus really is more than just a wonderful man. He, he's, he's so much more than just a godly messenger. He, he is not just God's promise of light in your life. He is the light. He is the light of the world. And that leads us to the second thing that's got to happen. You've got to have that moment of enlightenment. That you finally truly see who Jesus really is. And it's interesting how you see the dimmer switch turned up in this man's life. How the light just kind of slowly dawned in this man from the beginning of the chapter. And in verse 11, he says that Jesus was a man. And for some of you, that's how you see Jesus. Yes, he's a man, he lived in history, and that's, that's all that he could see in the beginning. Maybe that's all that you can see. And let me tell you something, if that's where you're at, you're welcome here in this place. You're welcome here at Coastal as you begin to figure that out. Listen, we believe here at Coastal that God's love is big enough. He's, his love is big enough to handle your doubt. His love is big enough to handle your questions. And listen to this. His love is even big enough to handle your anger, even if it's directed at him. And you're welcome here. You're, we're glad that you're here. This is the place for you to figure out those things. But then later, as he began, began to spend a little bit more time looking at who Jesus was and how Jesus acted and what he did, then he comes to the understanding, okay, well, Jesus is a prophet. And a lot of people think that. A lot of people think Jesus is just a great teacher. He's somebody sent from God. But it didn't end there with this man. The light finally turns on when at the end of the chapter, he finally comes face to face with Jesus, he trusts him, he puts his faith in him, and he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And that last step, that third step, that third thing that's got to happen that happened to him is that, that moment of commitment, that moment of you crossing that line of faith. At some point, you've got to say, I not only need that relationship, I want that relationship with Jesus. Listen, he will never force his way into anybody's life. But because of that, I know a lot of people who are living their life one step short of commitment. And some of you, you know, maybe just like this man, you've asked Jesus to help you. And he has many times. 
He's helped you with your marriage. You know, you've, you've been coming to Coastal maybe for a little bit and you've gotten some great biblical information, a, a, a new worldview, and he's beginning to change and shape your thinking. He's might, maybe even helped you with uh, making a certain business decision. He's, he's helped you raise your children. And listen again, that's great, and you're in a great place. Jesus helped this man before he believed in him. And he's helped a lot of you before you've really trusted in him. But today is the day. This is the moment for you right here and right now to say, I'm not just going to look at him anymore as someone who's going to help me when I'm struggling. I don't just see him as a good man. I don't just see him as a godly man or a great prophet. I see him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I want to put my trust in him. I, I, I want to humbly admit it, that I've been in darkness and I want to come into the light. I want a relationship with him. How does that happen? Again, it happens through a decision. It's a choice. It happens by you simply asking him in a prayer. Just like this man said, at some point you've got to say, I believe. That's when it happened. You say, I believe. I put my trust in you. And today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to just step you through just a prayer that you could pray. Listen, by the way, it doesn't matter when and where that happens. You know, it's great that it can happen here and now, but it can happen on the drive on the way home. It could happen over a, a cup of coffee with a friend. It could happen when it's just you alone with your thoughts with God tonight. But I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. But before we do, I want to ask you one more question. Again, Jesus is the light. He brings light to this man that he needed physically, spiritually. He is the, the light of the world. But how does he do that today? How does he bring that light today? I mean, Jesus is not here in the flesh, and there are a lot, right? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of dark places in the world today. I mean, we know that. We see it every single day. There are a lot of people who are struggling with hopelessness, people who don't know where to turn next, people who are caught up in bitterness. I mean, where, how are they going to receive the light? Listen to this. This is so awesome. Jesus uses you and me who are believers. Listen, the smallest flicker of a candle in a dark room makes everything different. And we are the ones that he uses to bring light into the world. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. Coastal, that's us. That's our mission. That's why we exist. Coastal, listen, we don't just go to church here at Coastal. We what? We we are the church, and we're on a mission to be the light in this world. We're on a mission to share and experience the life of Jesus with the world around us in a dark place. And we're not called to argue or to fight or to blame. We, we are called to love and to serve and to give and to point people to the only hope of this world, Jesus. Join us in that mission. 
But you can't join us until you first step out of the darkness and into the light. And I want to give you a chance to do that today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, today, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the light of the world who has come to bring light into the darkness. And I thank you for so many people here who have stepped into your wonderful light, not by anything, you know, based on who we are and what we've done, but through faith, by grace, because of what Jesus has done. And Father, today I believe that there are people here who are ready. The light, slowly over time, has been turning on. And today that switch has finally been flipped. And people have seen the light. Jesus is not just a man today, not just a great teacher, but he is your son, the Savior, sent into this world as a payment, as a rescue mission for our sin. And listen, if you're here today ready to step into the light, just like this man who was born blind, cry out to your heavenly Father today and say, God, I believe. I do. I believe that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he came into this world to pay for my sin. I believe that my sin put him on that cross. I believe, though, that he rose from the dead and he is alive. He proved through his resurrection the, his power over sin and death in this world. And he is alive. And God, by faith, I put all of my trust in him and him alone and what he did for me. I no longer trust in my own goodness, my ability to work or earn anything. I put my faith in him. And God, now for the rest of my days, I just want to walk in the light. I want to be a candle in a dark world. I want to become more and more like you now see me today, clean, brand new, forgiven, your son, your daughter forever, with a home reserved in heaven forever for me. I just want to follow Jesus. And Father, today I pray for our church. May those of us who have already walked into the light, those of us who are carrying candles, God, may we continue to share that light. May we no longer you know, put a, a, a bucket or a basket over it. May we let it shine brightly wherever we live, where we work, where we play with our friends, neighbors, family, and coworkers. May we be the light in this very dark world. Father, we love you. And I pray all these things today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.